We now come to a place in Genesis where the concept of blessing takes center stage. More than we realize throughout our reading of the first 27 chapters, the idea of blessing has been at the forefront of most of the narratives. But this narrative here, the story of Jacob and Esau, it is all about the paramount importance of blessing. Now to us in our modern ears, in our Western ears, the idea of blessing, that's eh, nice, nice, not thrilling, but nice, right? And that's about the extent of it. And if that's all that we consider as we think of the idea of a godly spiritual blessing, as it has played such a major role, didn't make it noise. Normally it pops. Uh, such a major role in Abraham, Isaac, and now Jacob, as well as Esau, plays a major role for him too here, that if, if we do not understand the import, the gravity of the words of blessing and all that is attending to the idea of blessing, we won't actually appreciate what a big deal it is of, of what we read here. Our anemic version of blessing is probably attributed to a couple different things. One of which is that we have just come out of the decade of the ascendancy of Stuart Smalley. And for those of you who didn't watch Saturday Night Live in the 90s and don't know who Stuart Smalley was, well, he is now your senator from the state of Minnesota. But before he was that, he was Al Franken. And he was, he was Stuart Smalley, a recurring character on Saturday Night Live. And the, the role that he would play was of a, oh, let, let, let's call it an insecure man that had never really come to the place that he wanted to be, but through his own personal experience, now finds himself a counselor who's able to help others. And the way that he helps others is he asks you to take out a mirror and look at yourself in the mirror and be able to say these words to yourself. I'm good enough. I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. And, and that, was, that was meant to be able to really bring the great affirmation and peace and just depth of character that you were always desiring for your life. Now it's just a platitude, it's vacuous, there's nothing much to it, but it seems as though Stuart Smalley, as much of a joke as he was, found his way into Maybe not most of you people's lives, but some of the younger folks' lives, every single time we failed you as the next generation by giving you those empty participation awards. Again and again and again. And as you got that ribbon for basically doing nothing. As you got that trophy for coming in last place. We basically gutted the idea of affirmation, gutted the idea of achievement, and gutted the idea of a well-thought-out, reasoned, weighty affirmation of blessing that really should be part of what this word is. And for us, the, the idea of blessing will be continually developed as we, as we talk through this, but know that this idea of blessing was not only a deep,
spiritually discerned description, not only of who you are, but what God has in store for you, but even where it is that you are headed. Much of it is a statement based on who you already are. And we'll have blessings throughout the book of Genesis that'll extend and really be brought to bear in Genesis 49 and 50 as we conclude this in November. But for, for, for right now, keep in mind that this idea of a blessing is kind of a big deal. So let's, let's go ahead and read. We've got a good bit of reading to do here today, so I'll, I'll keep it moving along. When Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, he called for his elder son Esau and said to him, My son. And by the way, the Bible tells us on a variety of occasions to never put a stumbling block in the way of one who is deaf or blind. Uh, one, of the most one of the most unkind things that you can do is in some way make sport of or trip or mock or, or put a stumbling block in the way of someone whose eyesight has been impaired. It's part of just the general grace and justice of God that's here. So keep that in mind for what's going to happen to Isaac now that his eyesight has failed him. So he calls for his son Esau, and he says to him, My son, here I am, he answered. Isaac said, I am now an old man, and I don't know the day of my death. Meaning seems to be imminent. Now then, get your equipment, your quiver, your bow. Go out into the open country and hunt me some of that wild game. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like and bring it to me to eat so that I may give you my blessing before I die. Now, this at first seems maybe a bit of normal course. He's the oldest son. But every time that we see a blessing of a patriarch who is moving on and imparting the great blessings of God onto the next generation, he always calls all of his children. And that will actually be the case for Jacob at, at the end of, of Genesis as well is that it's not just you bring in one child to the exclusion of another, but the depth of the favoritism that had gone on for well too long in this family ran sadly deep to, to the point that Esau was Isaac's boy and Jacob was Rebekah's son. And as, as that favoritism continued to create a rift, it probably also created a deep longing in Jacob as well, that if, oh, if just one day my father could look at me the way that he looks at Esau, if one day I could have that kind of affirmation from my father, and perhaps, as we'll see his desire later, the blessing, the blessing to come off the lips of my father. Oh, how he must have longed for that. Now, Rebecca, verse 5, was listening as Isaac spoke. Listen to the, the, um, the Hebrew, because they, they have the Hebrew here in, in integrity with the uh, possessive pronouns, his and her. Now, Rebecca was listening to Isaac as Isaac spoke to his son, Esau. It wouldn't be normal to actually say to her son, Esau, in this case. When Esau left for the open country to hunt game and bring it back, Rebecca said to her son, Jacob, the rift runs deep, right? Look, I overheard your father say to your brother Esau, bring me some game and prepare me some tasty food to eat 
so that I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord. Meaning, big deal. It's a big deal. Before I die. Now, my son, listen carefully to what I tell you. The, the word, actually, that Rebecca uses here is the word, I command you. It's used only one other time in all of Scripture with the female gender as the subject of the verb. It's, it's that big of a statement that she's making here. And we've known from the earlier story of Rebecca being chosen for Isaac that Rebecca was a go-getter. Right? Rebecca wasn't afraid to make 83 and a third trips to water the 10 camels of Eliezer. Right? Re Rebecca got after it. Rebecca wasn't afraid to leave her family and travel to the, the other side of the, the, the Fertile Crescent for, for this opportunity. But, but here she is, a go-getter, but also one that has already been told, as we know from Genesis 25. She's been told an oracle from the Lord. And what was she told? The blessing must fall upon the younger. And the older will serve the younger. Jacob, Jacob will be the one through whom the promised seed will pass. Jacob will be a blessing to all nations. Jacob will get the blessing of Abraham, not Esau. She understood this from the Lord. Part of her motives may actually be rather godly to be able to bring about the very will of God that has been imparted to her. But the way she goes about it, as we'll see, is not in any way on the up and up. By the way, also, I would find it highly unusual that having received an oracle from the Lord, a word from the Lord about your two children, that Rebecca would have never mentioned that to Isaac. I would imagine Isaac knew that the younger was destined by the very will of God to be in the lineage of the blessing of Abraham. And yet we see Isaac here doggedly resisting this very idea. And maybe that's why he wanted to do this in isolation, away from Rebekah, away from Jacob, that he thought that perhaps Isaac, in, in some sort of thinking, maybe thought that he could usurp the will of God and in a secret little backdoor smoke-filled meeting could be able to bring the blessing on to the older rather than the younger. And so keep, keep all that in mind. Jacob, I think I'm in verse 11. You guys probably know better than I, but I'm going to keep reading. Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, but, but my brother Esau is a hairy man while I have smooth sin, skin. He has smooth sin as well. <laughs> Very smooth. Uh, and, and in fact, Esau means hairy. Esau's, Esau is Esau. And I'm smooth. But what if my father touches me? You know, the but that he has here is not for scrupulous sake. It's not, but this is not right. This is not godly. This is not righteous. That's not his objection. His objection is, uh, what if this goes sour and I bear the brunt of this thing? What if my father touches me? I would appear to be tricking him. This is no small word. This is the word to mock. Another time, you can maybe look it up for yourselves, in 2 Chronicles 36, verse 36, you see that there are messengers that are mocked from the Lord, and swift condemnation is brought upon one who would use this mocking in anything that they would do. It would appear that I would be mocking or tricking Isaac, and I would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. His mother said to him, 
my son, let the curse fall on me. As though a curse could be transferred because a mom would want to, or even as though a blessing could be transferred. We'll see throughout the story, it's not that easy. Just do what I say, Rebecca says. Back to her, go get them, forcefulness. Go, get them for me. So he went and he got them. And he brought them to his mother. And now what's interesting is, that's all that, that she has Jacob do. Remember, Jacob is the one who's the culinary guy. He's the guy that, you know, is, it likes messing with the sauces and the flavors and the seasonings. But yet, she's like, I got this, Jacob. And it could be, this is a sad thought, it could be that even in the kitchen, Jacob was so inept. Never mind not being able to be adroit in the field or in the hunt or in other greater manly pursuits as would have been the sensibilities of that day of what would really kind of identify you as a successful virile man. But now even in the kitchen, it may be that Rebecca's like, yeah, I know this is your thing, but it's not really. So I'm going to go ahead and prepare for it. Then Rebecca took the best clothes, uh, and then she prepared some tasty food just the way his father liked it. Then Rebecca took the best clothes of her elder son Esau, which she had in the house, and put them on her younger son Jacob. She also covered his hands and the smooth part of his neck with goat skins. So we see the first gloves and turtleneck in the history of the world. <laughs> then she handed to her son Jacob the tasty food and bread she had made. He went to his father and said, My father! Yes, my son, he answered. But then, wait for it, wait for it, and if you're Jacob, you don't want to hear this, who is this? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. Painful to hear, isn't it? I mean, the, the, the depth to which these are the last days of Isaac and the, the rift and the pain and also the desire on Jacob's part for, for some sort of affirmation from his father that perhaps would never come anyway if he didn't masquerade himself as someone else. <laughs> Isaac asked his son, how did you find it so quickly, my son? Now, I think they were banking on his depreciated faculties to think, we can, I think we can you know, put this scam over on, on dad here. But when dad is all of a sudden saying, whoa, 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 I may be old and I may be blind, but sense of time is still kind of here. So how is it that all of a sudden, boom, you know, microwaves will not be invented for quite some time. <laughs> Isaac asked his son, how did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord, your, oh, so painful, right? The Lord, your God, gave me success, Jacob replied, groans all around. Then Isaac said to Jacob, come near, right? And if you're Jacob, you're like, oh, the jig is up. Come near so I can touch you, my son to know whether or not you are really my son Esau or not. Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him and said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. You know, up until this point, 
Jacob has been speaking twice as much as Isaac, but I think he wises up being a very smooth sinner as he is. And in his cleverness, the next words that are out of his mouth are the only words that come out of his mouth from this point forward with Isaac. And he just utters in a couple verses, I am, and keeps his mouth shut from this point on to be able to perpetrate the ruse. So on we go. Then Isaac said to Jacob, come near so I can touch you, my son, and know whether you're really my son Esau or not. Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him and said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He didn't recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau. So he proceeded to bless him. Are you really my son Esau? I think before he really gets into the full blessing. Are you really my son Esau, he asked. And again, the only words now to come from Jacob, I am. He replied. Then he said, my son, bring me some of your game to eat so that I may give you my blessing. Jacob brought it to him and he ate. And Jacob also decided, let me get him some wine too. So he also brings him some wine, hoping that not only are Isaac's senses dull, but now they will be lulled by this wine, which may be mold, but maybe not. And he brought him some wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come here, my son, and kiss me. So he went to him and kissed him. When Isaac caught smell of the clothes, he blessed him and said, Ah, the smell of my son. It's like the smell of the field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness, an abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. And you see, for those of us who have studied this from Genesis 12 on, the, the blessings of Abraham being brought to bear into this very blessing. He's doing it before the Lord. He is ratifying it. This is official. Now today, you know, I, I think we would say, all right, you got fooled. Can't you just say, do over? Yeah. Like who, who wouldn't think that? I think if it were me being fooled by Caleb and Lindsay and they kind of perpetrate this, this, um, deceit over me, I think I'd be like, oh, 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 so I said deceit, okay, rewind, I'm sorry, I'm going to redo it uh, in this case. But here's, here's the thing that convicts me, is that from God's perspective, our words really mean something. And we are held accountable for the words that we speak. Matter of fact, Jesus is the one who says we're going to be held accountable for every careless word that comes forth from our mouth. And to disregard the very words that we say, because we live in a society where you can you know, legitimize them with, with words on a page, wasn't so easy then. The words that came forth from your mouth were as though they were carved in stone. After Isaac finished blessing him, and Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence, his brother Esau came in from hunting. There's a lot of intrigue here as these moving parts. He too prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. Then he said to him, my father, please sit up, eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. His father Isaac asked him, who are you? I keep hearing Matt Weir's voice with that in my mind. Uh, 
we did a skit in our family one time and filmed it and you can see it i don't know it's probably on our, our actually it's on our, our church's website where all of the family devos are there if you just kind of even search on our website but anyway i always remember matt saying who are you uh or being said to him i am your son he answered your firstborn esau isaac trembled violently this is as over the top as the hebrew language can put it this is a fear and a shuddering that occurs isaac trembled violently and i think it's for a variety of reasons and he said who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me i ate it just before you came and i blessed him and then a pause and he says and indeed indeed he will be blessed so different from our idea but it also may be anchored in the idea that it was at that moment where maybe isaac realized god's will is being done even though i resisted it and even though it was brought forth my way in a machiavellian deceit that nonetheless god's will that i always knew would be coming this day god's will is being done and he indeed will be blessed when esau heard his father's words he burst out with a loud and bitter cry again as intensely as hebrew can convey it and said to his father and listen to the heart cry here bless me me too my father but he said your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing esau said isn't he rightly named jacob this is the second time he has taken advantage of me that word taken advantage of is the word jacob this is the second time he's jacob to me he took my birthright and now he's taken my blessing then he asked haven't you any reserved blessing for me isaac answered esau i have made him lord over you and have made all his relatives his servants i have sustained him with grain and new wine what can i possibly do for you my son esau said to his father do you have only one blessing my father bless me too my father then esau wept aloud and i'm gonna i'm gonna leave it right there you know at the end of this story because of all the different machinations of lies and manipulations that go on here everybody ends it ends up in this story really unsatisfied jacob eventually has to run away because esau then has a death wish for him esau is cheated out of everything rebecca loses her son her favorite son jacob who runs away and will never see him again and isaac of course is exposed for his resistance to the lord and likewise is deceived and is mocked by his very own sons and does nothing really about it because he realizes that he was in the wrong as well and so the whole story unravels but it's all about the the, the intensity and the import of blessing itself and jacob a man who receives the blessing but receives it under a cloud could not be very satisfied with it ultimately we will encounter jacob again in another sermon but i'll give you a preview of that 
And in Genesis 32, when Jacob wrestles with the angel of the Lord, with maybe the representative of the Lord himself, if not a manifestation of the Lord himself, you can see the heart cry that Jacob still has. And when Jacob was alone, a man wrestled with him till daybreak, Genesis 32 says. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. So Jacob is getting like a beatdown with injuries in the process of all of this. But nonetheless, the man then said, the angel says to him, let me go, it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless, you remember what he says? Unless you bless me. We don't get the import. We don't get the magnitude, the gravitas of blessing. They do. That's what this is all about. But perhaps maybe we need to step back and again, better appreciate the real value of blessing. My first point is the underestimated desire for blessing. I realize the hour, these will be two quick points, by the way, that I have. <laughs> the underestimated desire for blessing. You know, one of my uh, favorite TV shows is The Office. And when Michael Scott had a particularly effective day at a paper conference, at the end of the day, his district manager, Jan, came by and looked at Michael Scott and said to him, well, that was quite a day you had today, Michael. It seems as though I've underestimated you. And then Michael Scott, swelling in his chest with, with uh, encouragement, says to Jan, well, then maybe next time you will estimate me. <laughs> that has nothing to do with this point. I just thought I'd throw it in. The underestimation desire for blessing. A blessing is a very measured statement, as I mentioned, about who the person is and who that person is becoming in God. Deeply considered, not an off-the-cuff remark. It is before the very face of God in the presence of the Lord that the Genesis blessings all occur. Not just well wishes, not just encouraging affirmations. It's not pulling up to your friend's house on his birthday to be able to give him some encouraging words in his card and in his driveway, pulling out the pen and quickly writing in that card, even though you're already seven minutes late for the birthday party, of what just a great guy you are and I'm so glad that God put us in each other's lives. Why are so many of you hanging your head as I say that right now? <laughs> it's not only discerning who they are, but it is choosing powerful gesture, gestures and words to affirm, encourage, and empower the person. And it's also what gifts God has given them that are being reinforced in the statement of the blessing. I think the heart cry of how deeply both Jacob and Esau wanted blessing is found in this statement by Esau. Bless me, me too, me too, Father. Is there nothing left? Can I not too be pleased, Father? Me too, bless me. There's a, a, a quote that I uh, recently encountered by, uh, by, by a preacher named Tim Keller. He wrote, words have a power to them. 
especially words of affirmation and valuing or condemnation and cursing. They pass into you. They become part of you. They shape who you are. The ancients knew this. If even offhanded, almost casual comments can pass into you and just hurt you and ruin you or lift you up and comfort you and sweeten your life for years and years, how much more words that are put forth in an authoritative, climactic setting like a deathbed blessing. We all know the power of words. We all know that the nursery rhyme is wrong. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. You probably don't remember many sticks or stones, even if there were, from your misspent youth. <laughs> but I bet you remember the words. But you remember them word for word, the way the inflection occurred at the end of the sentence, the look in the eye. I think we especially remember those from family, from those that matter most. But without blessing, without real blessing ever given to us, our lives are incomplete. In fact, they're twisted, they're tortured. We're destined to wrestle forever, like Jacob, until real blessing can really be applied to our soul. And God made us in that way to really desire the blessing, the blessing from him especially. But along the way, we have authority figures in our lives. And some of you have had parents that perhaps gave careful thoughts and wonderful insight and spot-on specificity as they looked at you and brought blessing your way. But you're probably the exceptions, because probably for most, it was something very, very different. And that, if, if anything, it was the lack of negative reinforcement that you had to take as blessing. The, the fact that you weren't criticized this particular time, that perhaps you'll hold on to that as a silent blessing of one sort or another. But you know, Jacob wanted blessing so very, very much. He wanted his father, as I mentioned earlier, just once, just once to look at him with a proud gleam in his eye, to rise up with encouragement when Jacob walked into the room, to consider him the way that Isaac considered Esau. But he never got it. And so that dissatisfaction really did play into all that defined Jacob's life. All the manipulations that went into it, all the cheating, all the masquerading that, that goes into it. But you know, when a, when a father thinks about that and blesses you, when a mother thinks that way and blesses you, it's, it's actually a real difference in your life. When someone who is spiritual, that you know is not just given to off-the-cuff platitudes, just run-of-the-mouth, just, ah, he, he says that to all the girls, uh, but, but, but a real deep consideration and really does bless you with godly words that affirm who you are, the accuracy of the godly insight to your character and who you're becoming, and God, that makes a difference. You know, even at a more secular level, 
if you're a kindergartner and you have a really smart teacher looks at you and tells you, you know, you're really smart. You've got some real great raw materials. You're going to do something with that. That changes the trajectory of your life. That's a really big deal. In Jacob, we have this very relatable character, this very relatable person who is much more modern than anybody else we encounter in the book of Genesis. All others are, are actually quite ancient to our ears. But Jacob is so modern because Jacob has anguish. Jacob has longings. Jacob has unfulfilled expectations. So many things that he strives after are, are so familiar to what we have in, in our own human experience now. Jacob is a worthy character for us to really study deeply, to be able to see the way that he tries to fill the hole in his soul that really needs to be filled in a very real and godly way, because we go about it the same way he does. How does Jacob try to get the blessing? Because he was probably little. He was a kitchen boy. He was smooth. Couldn't hunt. Wasn't good at the stuff that Isaac wanted him to be good at. He couldn't get the blessing from his father. So you know what he did? He dressed up to be like someone else. Hoping that to be like someone else, his father would finally bless him. He became someone else. He hid who he really was. He decided that vulnerability, that's for chumps. Instead, I'm going to put on a mask. And that's the way that I'm going to get my blessing. But how are you getting blessings that you desire from others? It might not be by letting others see who you really are. And instead, we're satisfied with a cotton candy satisfaction that comes from an affirmation based on who we're not rather than who we are. You know, even this week, I was very blessed by a deep conversation with Debbie. I call her Debbie, but I think she likes for you to call her Deb. <laughs> but anyway, as, as, as Debbie and I were talking, what really did come through is she said, you know, you know what I would really like from you? Is that you would just really be who you are when you're with me. That you could dare greatly with vulnerability. That I could know the real you your fears, your anxieties, your warts and all. Let that really be before me and trust that in a godly relationship, that's what's going to really bring blessing. Rather than the masquerade that you think you need to be in order for us to have the, the blessing of intimacy that really should be ours. But maybe we're not letting people see our fears, our flaws, our warts, our worries, our temptations, or even, God forbid, our sins. And if that's the way that we're getting blessed, you're probably not walking away from it fulfilled, at least not in your soul. Probably trying to be somebody your parents approve of because you dread not having your parents' approval. Maybe it's with your spouse, maybe it's with your siblings. God forbid, maybe it's going on in fellowship with other Holy Spirit reborn folks. 
that that's the way that you're trying to have blessing one with another. Here's the beauty of this fellowship. And I praise God for this day after day, that we're not in a fake stained glass masquerade of a communion with one another. That even as I look across, I realize how many of you know the ugliness of who I am without Christ. And as I look across at you, knowing the ugliness of who you are as well without Christ. But how that is so pervasive throughout our entire fellowship. The ligaments and sinews that the Bible describes that connects us all carry along those fiber optic cables, not only the good and the encouraging and the glories, but also the darkness and the ugliness and the despairs and the failings and the, the illnesses. All of that is, is there in the ligaments and sinews. Praise God that we have such a culture of grace that you can be who you really are and get not cotton candy satisfaction, but real meat, the real depth of real fulfillment in, in who you were always meant to be in God, in Christ, in the body of Christ. Do not sell that out for any compromise on what it is that God really wants for you to be able to have. I've shared this story, but years ago we were trying to see if we could connect with another fellowship. There was so much we had in common. We were trying to pursue the John 17 idea of Christians being unified and not just being content that we're on this side of the street and they're on some other side of the street. But why not? Let's see if we could get together. And as we met with the leaders of that church, we decided, all right, if we're going to have fellowship, well, fellowship is described in 1 John 1 as fellowship in the light where we confess our sins and really live as who we really are, rather than put on a masquerade. Surely Proverbs 28, 13 doesn't say without reason that whoever conceals his sin will never prosper, will never be blessed. But whoever confesses and forsakes it will receive mercy. This is the life that we get to live, brothers and sisters. We can confess and forsake and be real with one another and only have the depth of blessing to actually be reinforced and augmented. Praise, do you know how rare that is? We have that, praise God. But as we met with the leadership of this other uh, uh, fellowship, this other group, we decided, all right, time for you to know who we really are. You know, if you really wanna have unity with us, well, bleh, here you go. Here, this is not just who I was before Christ, but this is just the last week of my life. And, and, and here is all the stumbles and the sins that have been part of my life. I want us to have depth of intimacy if we're gonna have fellowship and not be like so many churches where everybody's religious or pharisaical and, and they come in with a, with a masquerade hoping that that is the way that you're gonna be accepted and blessed. And it's just the opposite. And now sadly, as wondrous as all of our exploration was going, the minute that we on our side of the table, shared all of the depth of our mess. All of a sudden, what was at once eagerness sitting on the edge of the seat for all of us, the other side of the table went from this to this. And as we were done, there was barely a thank you, and, and instead a, oh, we won't be doing that. No, 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 we, we, we don't do that. And as much as we tried to share from scripture, it ended up going nowhere. And, and of course, the, the, the connection never, never really made. 
But for us, whether it be in fellowship or, or whether it be before the Lord, we want to know the real you. God wants to know the real you. We want to love the real you. I want to be loved for the real me. And not for the me that was able to, I don't know, put, put a, a, enough white paint of, of whitewash uh, over my mess. Who, who wants a whitewashed tomb for, for, for fellowship? Please. This is a big way to trust in the Lord. No small matter. Let me move on. Uh, my second point to bring this home is, my son, let the curse fall on me. This is a big deal. So what Rebecca says in verse 13. His mother said to him, my son, let the curse fall on me. As if the curse really could be transferred over. She perhaps thought maybe that it could. But it seems as though as Isaac goes on to both bless and not curse, that he realizes, you know what? This is not something that can be imputed or credited or transferred. But the good news is it can but not with Rebecca. In one very special instance, in one who is most privileged above all, in the most astounding firstborn to ever have his feet make footsteps on this earth, and that is in God's son himself. The beneficiary not only of all of the birthright of the firstborn, but of the blessings of the firstborn. But he comes so that you could know what real firstborn birthright and blessings could look like. He comes with the open affirmation from his father as the heavens open and the spirit comes upon him. And God says, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. What affirmation. What every son wants to hear from his father. The love, the pleasure, the connection. Jesus came with all of that. And we marveled at him. But he came with all of that not to be marveled at. But he came to do something that Rebecca couldn't do. Something that Isaac couldn't do. Something that Jacob tried to do. He came to put on my clothes. He came to put on your clothes. He came to take on your reality. And in doing so, he became a curse. Galatians 3 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Instead of the blessing of the firstborn, Jesus became the curse of all curses. Christ redeemed you, me, from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing, get this, he redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to you, the Gentiles, through Christ Jesus, so that by faith, by trust, we might receive the promise of the Spirit. My goodness, do you get the depth of this? Jesus became your curse 
so that you become the blessing and the birthright of the real firstborn. So that your heart cry, so that the longing of your soul, what it is that you've been born to hear, is now affirmed to you in your rebirth. That what God has always wanted to bestow upon you, he can do through Christ. Why? Because all of our nastiness, dishonor, and shame is worn by Christ. A few verses later in Galatians 3, it says all of us who have been baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. Jesus put on my clothes so that I could put on his clothes. So that God could embrace me. So that God could say to me, come near. Let me smell you. Let me feel you. Let me be near you. Let me revel in you. Let me rejoice in you. Let me bless you. The very chance that we have to know all that Jacob longed for is guaranteed for you. And if you're not there yet, if for whatever reason you put weird priorities or circumstances or God, my goodness, drop it now. What it is that you've always wanted, whether you estimate it or underestimate it or not, the blessing that was always meant to be yours is yours in Jesus. Let this be a week, please, where you get real and you get blessed. Whether you're yet to be in Christ or whether you're in Christ now and you've gone the way of masquerade, this week, let it be that we wear who we really are so that we can be who we're always affirmed to be in Christ. Let this be a week of being real to your brothers and sisters being real about who you are, and affirming the blessings of grace that have come your way. And then with that, take on the promise of Abraham. You stand in the great lineage of all of this. You now go and be a blessing as well. Amen. Thank you.